Howdy do, y'all. I'm Uncle Drank, star of the ballad of Uncle Drank. It is a scripted musical podcast about the life and times of me, fictional golf and western country music pioneer, Uncle Drank. The series also stars Luke Wilson, Brian Kelly, Chelsea Lynn, Kinky Friedman, and Billy Zane as a talking blender named Blendy. You can find The Ballad of Uncle Drank on Sirius XM, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, my name is John Paul Kermy. I am a breathwork teacher. I'm really excited to be doing this new podcast with my good friend Feldy called Hang Up. That's right, I'm John Feldman. I'm in a band called Goldfinger. John Paul taught me breathwork, it changed my life. We're talking about solutions to problems today. Listen to Hang Ups on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Zach Selwyn. You may remember me as a host from ESPN, Attack of the Show, or even Immortalized, that competitive taxidermy show on AMC. We lasted one episode. Anyway, three times a week, I'm bringing you the realest fake news of the day. It's the Saturday Night Live News Desk, but in an audible format. Listen to the Audio Up News Network on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, howdy do, y'all. I'm Uncle Drank, star of the ballad of Uncle Drank. It is a scripted musical podcast about the life and times of me fictional golf and western country music pioneer uncle drank the series also stars luke wilson brian kelly chelsea lynn kinky friedman and billy zane as a talking blender named blendy you can find the ballad of uncle drank on sirius xm pandora stitcher or wherever you get your podcast live from the dream hotel in hollywood california this is lips la hey guys welcome to the show i'm scott lips and you're listening to lip service welcome back today on the show we have rufus de soul better known as rufus in certain countries they are paving the way for a new form of music and shall i say edm mixed with alt rock kind of in the vein of tame impala a little bit of uh, early electronica radiohead some may say it's even like dance music that's perfect for any party. So super excited to have these guys on the show to talk about EDM, the future of electronic dance music. They're from Australia, great dudes, and they'll be walking in just a moment. Rufus the Soul. This is Lips LA. I see myself in your eyes. Hey guys, welcome to the show. It's Scott Lips, and we are with Rufus the Soul. How you doing, guys? Good. Hey, How you doing? Real good. Just catching up on a little um, Game of Thrones. Is that show like popular in Australia? Yeah, <laughs> I think it's popular everywhere. I feel like it's, <laughs> it's universally popular, it seems. That's cool. Well, it's definitely, we, we can't talk about it. There's like an etiquette. We were just speaking about it. But you guys are here for how long? You're on tour. There's so much to get into. I actually want to talk about your entire journey from when you started to now and um, growing up in Australia. You know, the band's been around for like 10 years now, I would say, right? Yep. Yeah. And the name, it's funny because in certain cities and certain countries, you're Rufus. In certain countries, you're Rufus Dussault. Talk about that for a moment and how that came about. Well, actually, now we're Rufus Dussault everywhere. Everywhere, okay. Yeah, there was a grace period where it was a crossover. Like a um, 70s band or something had the yes, name? Yes, maybe, maybe, maybe not. <laughs> maybe not. We won't <laughs> give them any credit. Yes, yes. <laughs> right. Um, Essentially, it sort of works in our favor. The whole idea with Rufus itself was uh, we, were, we were, yeah, 10 years ago in my parents' kitchen trying to come up with a name for this music that we were writing and uh, we like the idea of like a singular name um, sort of making a band like, come together. There was like Mike Snow at the time that we were 
sort of enjoying that idea of. Andrew White. Andrew Wyatt. Yeah, Andrew, Andrew White. Yeah. yeah, a friend of mine, yeah. Um, so, yeah, then we thought that Rufus uh, with the umlauts, we thought Rufus was funny actually, and then Rufus uh, with the umlauts um, was, like Rufus is recognisable. It's like sort of everyone's heard of a Rufus or a dog named Rufus. And then with the umlauts, the little U dot dots, yeah. sort of gave it a foreign feel and it started working for us in Australia, being able to play under the name Rufus and it sort of felt like we were from Sweden or something. Right, it um, almost sounds Swedish. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and then I, the Do Soul sort of, again, just added to that ambiguity and uh, we uh, were able to make ourselves feel like a foreign little island or something. So there you are, Rufus Do Soul. I love it. So the band's been around for 10 years. Take me back to the very beginning, how you guys started, how you met. Right, so I should probably introduce you guys. It's John, Tyrone, James. Like how you guys all met? Were you in school together? You grew up in Australia. I think people are always interested in the stories of your journeys. And I think you're coming up. You have your like biggest show soon. Mm -hmm. uh, I think in LA, especially. We were just talking about it. So, and you did Coachella the third time. So it's all building to this pinnacle now. Definitely your biggest record, I would say. I mean, I keep hearing about you guys everywhere I turn. It's like I just I hear the names. I know it's building to. Uh, Definitely, do you feel like the momentum building now from, you know, from years, like just it's really coming to a culmination here for you guys? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we're peaking now. Definitely peaking. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's hope you keep, you know, I'm sure that's going to yeah, keep yeah. going. But, but talk about the beginning, how you started, how you guys met, where it all started from. Were you oh, friends we, in high school yeah, or something? Yeah, we've been, we've been longtime friends, really. Um, like we've all kind of entered music separately, like in our own way. Um, me and James went to the same school as each other. Um, we played in various bands and... Um, rock bands or were these like yeah electronic? rock bands okay. I guess like rock bands we were doing like just covers of new metal sort of oh, things cool. or whatever it was that's just pretty cool to like, know was it like Maiden covers or something or? it was like System of a Down and all that oh, okay. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like no, cool no, I don't think anyone knows that it's like you classic, guys were like in a <laughs> it's like classic angsty teenage music that so from like a, related over like you know yeah, as a 13 yeah. year old you know from like a corn cover band to this electronic dance music you're doing <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. What, what's the correlation how did it begin how did you guys start well, I could be a part of the glue there. Um, I, uh, I started DJing um, out in uh, Sydney just after finishing school and was really into house music. Um, I really liked Milo and Armin van Helden. And uh, then I started getting more into like some, like I guess I influenced by like Chemical Brothers and uh, Trent Moller. And that's when we started to find that there was a click between, uh, between all three of us that we enjoyed this like sort of not purely house music, but this like sort of grungier side with Trent Moller who used a lot of guitar pedals and distortion and same with Chemical Brothers. So we really enjoyed that idea. And same with Roiksop was another big inspiration for us at the time. And also Booker Early Shade. Radiohead, would you say? Radiohead yeah. was yeah. a huge influence. Because mm -hmm. when I listen to you guys, I hear like uh, almost like the In Rainbows, Kid A era Radiohead when they started turning to like electronic music. Radiohead's one of my favorite bands of all time. Mine we're too. We're all huge fans. I yeah. love that. Yeah, yeah amazing. Cool. Yeah. So you guys were inspired by that. And it's, you're a real band in the sense that I've seen you guys live, um, you know, and, and there's definitely like there's instrumentation happening. It's not just loops. There's really drumming going on. There's all, so it's there's uh, you know I, I don't think a lot of electronic music is done live these days. It's usually just the DJ and maybe there's playing the track. But you are a band per se. So you know how did that come about? Where you guys are like you know we're all into the same music. Let's kind of mess around with this kind of music early on because it's something that hadn't really been done. There are um, a few bands that are from Australia as well. Uh, Cut copy. Oh um, sure, yeah, yeah, and sort of a, another group called the Presets. And around yeah. this time, this like uh, culmination period for us. These bands had, uh, there was kind of this wave of that kind of music, uh, electronic music that was indebted to house, but was also a classic band and the vision of the act and the marketing of the act and everything about the act was that it was a band. 
and that seeing those acts around that that time was really inspiring for us. So from from the from the get go, it was the idea with this project was that this is a band, this is not a DJ, this is like you know. Yeah. It it also like um, was a big opener for electronic music for me personally. Like I remember watching um, Daft Punk; they came with their like uh, helmets, pyramid. Yeah, well, <laughs> right. I mean the pyramid show was a huge show, right. and the lineup for that was um, really incredible. I think Cut Copy and maybe the presets were there as well. So that was my first sort of experience of witnessing when there was drums with live music because yeah. I'd be like, oh, this isn't just, this is like rock music. But um, Definitely. And it opened the door and kind of let down my guard against electronic music. I think when I was maybe a young teenager, I was like, oh, you know, they're not real. That's not real music. Or, you yeah, know, I yeah. didn't really see Keyboards. Past, yeah, I just yeah. saw guitars and drums as real music. And um, that really opened it up for me and... Uh, I think that is a big, uh, I find that really exciting to be able to like uh, translate our music live so that it opens up that that 12-year-old, 15-year-old, 20-year-old that hasn't necessarily opened up to electronic music. When they see it, they see the drums, they see guitars. There's almost there's a bit a, of a rock, alt-rock element. Um, do you guys like Tame Impala and some of the Australian bands? Because they're, they're kind of dreamy. There's a little bit of that beachy thing going on. So I feel like... There's a commonality theme that runs through because you guys grew up on the beach, right? Was it Byron Bay you grew up in? Um, well, we all grew up sort of like uh, near the beach, or except for Tyrone, who was like a little bit more inland. But I guess a lot of our time um, throughout our teenage years was definitely spent near the beaches of Sydney. Cool. Um, and then, yeah, in Byron Bay was where we sort of started writing a little bit. But, yeah, we've spoken a lot and uh, shared a lot of that type of music um, mm. from Taming Parlor. Tamer Paul are amazing. Yeah. We're obsessed with them too. There's almost and, like yeah. a California vibe to your music too, I would say. It's a bit coastal right. in definitely. some ways. Mm. Definitely, definitely. So, all right, so you, you start getting into this music. You didn't get your record deal for like two or three years into that. And was Warner Brothers the first label you signed with? And how did that come about? How'd you get your, you know, your label deal and all that stuff? Well, yeah, we, uh, we wrote um, the first two EPs uh, without any record deal. We had a small independent uh, deal on our second EP. Um, with just a little bit of capital or maybe just a little bit of um, studio time to help us get through it. Mm. Um, and then uh, we started getting a little bit more play in Australia and a little bit um, more confidence in, it, in what we wanted to do. So you were playing out at that point? Yeah, we were playing out at that point. We were getting like little crowds together, maybe like... 30 between, people, 50 people? Well, maybe like 200 people. Okay, like gigs, all right, you know? yeah. We were doing all right. And you're like, this thing is starting to happen or you're like, we still need to work on this for quite some very, time? It was pretty gradual. And, you know, about like after maybe two years, we got our first gig in Melbourne and cool. we were like, oh, so we're playing in a different city. And then we, you know, that, that... But that was still sort of a very steady incline, you know, like... And did you get in a van at that point? Were you touring in a van or was it still too early for that? We were sleeping on people's couches. Right, right, and, right. Uh, That's always fun. But in Australia, flying from city to city, you're not really doing van tours. Okay. Um, yeah, just they, be given that the cities are so far apart. Yeah. And they have a deal in Australia if anyone's signed to like, which is the Australian Performing Rights Association, you can uh, get as much baggage as you want on a, oh, nice. on a flight. <laughs> so we took full advantage of that and took full drum kits That's and cool. uh, synthesizers. Yeah. People are like, who are these the guys plane? on the flight with like 55, you know, bags yeah, with them? What's going yeah. on? Yeah. So, so yeah, we, uh, we sort of took advantage of that. We were trying to make our way around Australia a lot riding and we started to like um, work on our first record. And we wrote the full record without any sign, without any label, and then we were pretty proud of it. Uh, we started shopping it around to to labels, and uh, no one was biting. And uh, 
we were like um, pretty shocked that um, we that no one was recognizing um, what we'd done. And uh, there were there was, songs from your first album, Atlas, in that set, or were you still writing those songs? This we was yeah, Atlas. It was Atlas. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And uh, there was one guy in particular um, who um, believed in it, and he. Uh, he was like we had a we had two labels like in contention and one was just offering like as a modest deal and we're just like yeah we can push this and then there was this guy who was like this is just the start of something great for you guys and I really believe this is gonna really take off from here and these songs are amazing and that was the first sort of huge confidence that we've been shown in what we were doing and um, sadly we we signed the deal and sadly a week later uh, he passed away. Oh my god! Um, he was also an extremely influential DJ in Australia. Okay. Like, Especially for that era. What when, was his name? Uh, his, Ajax. Ajax, okay. Ajax. Ajax. So uh, he signed you guys a week later, he passes away, and yeah. you're like, what do we do now? Yeah, yeah. we got, got the call in the morning um, a week later and found out the guy who believed in us had passed away. What, mean, are, what are the chances of that too, right? You're, you're yeah. working for this record deal, and like a week later the guy passes away. So yeah. Were you like, we're back to the drawing board or we feel like we should, well, you know? Luckily, the, the rest of his team um, made us feel so welcome. And obviously, this is hugely sad for these guys as well and, yeah, and for us. Like, uh, so we went through this really sad period um, discussing what, what, to, what was going to happen. But they just um, showed complete confidence and honored everything that like uh, Adrian or Ajax wanted to do with us. Awesome. And we really took off from there. And they, we got um the full confidence and support from triple j which is a big radio station sure. in australia and from there um everything really started to take off for us in australia that's cool and then your first album atlas it's almost like a concept album i would say right so talk about the writing process it's your first full length how does it begin because i know there's a whole story behind that album and how it came about oh uh, i mean it began by us quitting our jobs right. so so what, like, actually, <laughs> what, what were your jobs because it's always good to know i think we people were, like to know what you guys were doing uh i can't remember what i was doing at that point like i worked in a law firm just oh, copying okay. and You're like a clerk and, or something and, yeah exactly okay. um i did gardening and we were saying this the other day <laughs> like, boy or you something. do so many like small <laughs> little, little jobs odd odd before jobs you get stuff. anywhere yeah. Yeah. No, you said um you said Oh, my careers have been so careers. Done so many careers. <laughs> yeah. So many careers. What do you guys do? What were you, what was your jobs? Yeah, little odd jobs. I was at university full time as well up until that point. And, okay. uh, and so I was like, no, nah, I'm out. I dropped I, out. But it was like you know, I was a, I worked at a call center for two years. Cool. Uh, I, I worked at, in a tanning salon once when those yeah. were like oh, a wow. thing yeah, in LA. You, you know, I made sandwiches. It was great. Yeah. I'd done yeah. my fair share of my jobs too. But I was uh, I'd finished a sound engineering degree and I was working at a at a TV station in in Australia. And then I, I think I had the only full time job. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say it sounds like you had a professional job. Yeah. yeah. And I quit. Like, it. Weren't like a gardener. <laughs> yeah. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> Many careers. <laughs> So, all right, so you quit your job. You're like, this is a full-time thing now. Did the label give you guys money to support yourselves? We, we didn't have one at that time. Okay. So we just, we, we had this uh, place. It's, um, it was John's like family's property sort of thing. Uh, we, we set up our studio there with um, like an AB studio and we had three weeks to kind of write as much as we could. And we just put as much like paint on the picture as we could without thinking too much about what, the idea of the record was we just wanted we were so excited to write a body of work right and i think given our first two eps and touring we had so much more of a clearer direction of what we wanted to say and what we wanted to write and um i guess the foundation of the record was found in that first three weeks 
And it was such a beautiful spot to ride in. Like it's surrounded by nature and mountains, rolling hills. There's a tennis court. So we were waking up playing tennis. That is um, like your music though. I will say it's lush. There's like a landscape aspect to what you guys do. And I sort of envision that scenario when you guys are writing the music, right? You're like, you're yeah. by a beach, you're by some mountainous, well, because you, you wrote your last record in Venice by the beach, yeah. right? Yeah. And we'll get into that too. We're sort of jumping ahead. Yeah. But regardless, so the first record, you're sitting in the mountains, you're writing this record and it's all, the, but I feel like there was, um, wasn't there like a, the letters or the alphabet were playing oh, yeah. into the record, so right? Th- that, I think from the very onset that- uh, I that, do my uh, homework. The aspect, you know, yeah, yeah, <laughs> you, got, you, you know what's going on. <laughs> the aspect of like location and escapism and, and a sense of place came straight off the bat in terms of we were like, all right, we need to organize our project titles this time as opposed to, you know, previous like sort of working um, periods. And so it was, we were like, all right, let's decide on a theme and each each song will have a, a themic, you know, so the first one might be like Amsterdam, for example, or, uh, you know, B would be like Berlin. And actually B Berlin, that became a song Desert Night. And then um, you ended you up know, writing Caribbean, your next record yeah. there too. Right? Yeah, it's true. Right, yes. right. It's true. Um, but yeah, so that sense of location, I think, you know, subconsciously was attached to the whole writing period because each song was called something that represented a place. And were you thinking about the visuals of the band early on? Because you also have a sort of visual aspect to what you guys do now when you do Coachella, there's a whole visual 360 thing going on right in the tent. So, and I'd love to hear about that too, but were you consciously thinking about the visuals of the band when you wrote it? Did you have a direction for that in a sense or not really? Yeah, well, from the first EP um, and the naming of the band, my brother was uh, involved with us early on and he um, has is now our visual director and, and um, creative director. Um, so the first um, artwork on the EP was like a carefully selected sort of um, piece, which was the Matterhorn um, Mountain. And uh, that was like, again, like these like specific color palette that we were into with these golds and... Mm-hmm. Um, and with the Atlas... Um, there might have been a glittery jacket somewhere. Uh, maybe, <laughs> maybe that you guys are wearing, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, we were, we're into specific like sort of um, feels and, and visuals. And we've carried that right through with Alex, um, with my brother. And um, with, with um, Atlas, um, Take Me was one of the first songs um, that was to come out of that um, record and really had that sort of you know heavenly sort of opening up in the sky um blues and water and that sort of started to carry through a lot of that that record in particular and we use that on the on the cover of uh, that record as well and i read something that you even had your screensavers that were sort of like inspiring you guys from a picture standpoint with the visuals right yeah yeah we've always done that that's cool so i do want to jump to you were right 60 million streams pretty impressive right uh, 10 years ago. This was not an overnight sensation. This is something you guys have been working on for 10 years. A lot of people don't know. They hear about an artist and they think, wow, this, I love this new artist. It's like not necessarily. It's been 10 years in the making. So congratulations. I want to talk about the whole path. You're with Rufus the Soul, Lip Service, and I'm Scott Lips. You're listening to Lips LA with Scott Lips. Hey guys, we're back. And uh, so we're still on the first record, Alphabetical, right? And uh, Atlas. And when did you guys know that record was that comes out? You get well. Let's talk about actually getting your record deal, right? Because the DJ passes away. He was helping you guys, and then what happened from there? Uh, I guess uh, yeah, we we got the full support of the the label, and um, and then maybe later that month we put the first single out from that song, "Take Me," um, and that uh, that was the first time we got a full um, radio ad for Triple J, which and Triple J is such an influential radio station. In Australia, yeah. And talk so, about it for a moment and sort of what it means to Australia. Just, yeah, 
It was like it, it's the station that every kid is basically listening to. You can listen to it uh, all across the country, um, and like it's just it's like Z one hundred or something. Probably they play like music from every genre, okay. so it's like you could have a metal song, and then it could be a hip hop song, and then it could, so you're growing up listening to such a wide palette of music and there's like a voting system at the end of each year to vote for the best songs of the cool. year and that that um it's called the hottest 100 and it's such a cool uh i don't know like out what, what do you call it? collection of music because there's music from every genre like that's voted in by the public cool. so it's just and it's the know. best it, of. Yeah, it's yeah. A, and it's an alternative radio station, so it's not your pop radio station, but it's um, it's what every like you know child or brother like if you have a brother who he's like a cooler <laughs> brother, he's going to get you onto that station. That's cool. But what it equates to is um, people coming out to your shows. They're, they're the tastemakers of Australia, and like they, uh, they help um, you get um, recognized and get um, people out to your shows. And so for us, that was a huge help in growing the shows from. 200 to 500, 500 to 1,000. And by the end of the first record, we were doing, you know, over 1,000 uh, at least in each city. And then that's when America and, um, and, the, and Europe and the UK started looking like more of a reality. Yeah, so how did that happen for you guys, actually? Well, then that's when we started talking with our first um, record company over in America. And um, we were talking to a few and we came and did CMJ Festival cool. uh, yeah. in New York. So for those of you, that, you guys that don't know, CMJ is like a music showcase, tons of bands playing, tons of labels. And basically it's sort of like... You know, you're trying to get signed, usually in a lot of cases, and sometimes there's established artists playing too. So did you guys get signed at CMJ or was it just, did you, how'd you do at that show? Sometimes you hear these we, crazy stories about people, we, we had, successes or failures. So we, we, it was funny. It was during a nice period for us where we were, had a little bit of a glow about us. There was like a little tiny bit of hype, you know, in reality now, knowing what really happens, like I don't <laughs> think the hype is as big as we thought it was. Right. But, you know, there was people like um, coming to our shows and we were coming up at the same time as Flume. So we um, were playing some like some same shows. We were playing the same shows as him at CMJ. So um, we ended up talking to label people and we ended up signing um, shortly after that with uh, Columbia uh, Records um, in America. And then um, I guess, we, did we go into Bloom with them? Uh, yeah, we did. Yeah. 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 So how do you talk about the process of getting the record deal, right? So an A&R guy comes out to the show. Was it that simple? Because you already had a buzz in Australia. Was there a whole process behind getting your deal? Well, the way, actually the way the Columbia thing came about was because we were using Sony in Australia to, as distribution from Sweated oh, Out. Yeah. Sweated Out is that label that was founded by Ajax. So yep. that, that, was a, that was kind of the label we were on, but they used Sony as like the, you know, the way to distribute. Distributor. Sure. Distributor. And then so... We use and then Sony were able to um, pitch us to Columbia because that's like the partner. Sure, sure. Sony and Columbia. Um, so that's sort of how it came about. Kind of they were like, "You guys have to check about. out this band. They're yeah, great." Exactly. So your second record, Bloom, comes out. You start to feel the buzz. How did, tell me about the writing process. Do you guys all get in a room together? Do you work on stuff together? I know you lived together for the last record in Venice. Yeah. And I heard it was like the Brady Bunch because you had yeah. the girlfriends and the managers and the agent. Everyone was there, right? For, how many yeah. of you guys were actually living at that house at that point? We were all living there at that point. Oh, how many people? Yeah, there? was there like 10 eight, people? Eight. Eight, okay. So eight it is minimum. like the Brady Bunch living yeah. in a house together. So for Bloom, did you guys all, were you living together during that album? Yeah, pretty much every album writing process, we've lived together in some capacity. Um, so yeah, for Bloom, we, we initially, uh, 
we'd set out, you know, after we'd written and been based in uh, Sydney, Australia to write Atlas, we're like, okay, let's, um, let's switch up the location. We were very clear we wanted to go somewhere to be inspired. And we actually, uh, like a few months after we put Atlas out in 2013, we had uh, like a one or two week kind of run, our first time going to Europe and the UK. And so we did like a few shows in London, one show in Paris. and then Ready and Leeds? Yeah, uh, no, this is before that, I think. Um, but And we did... Um, did you say Reading and Leeds? <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure we like, did Reading and Leeds. And like then we small went to places the, to, like Reading and Leeds, you know. Oh, no, <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Um, so I'm setting this up. So we went to Berlin for a week. Because those are big shows tonight. <laughs> we just played the O2 Arena, you know. It's like we went to like Berlin that. for a week and um, we were really inspired by this place. And so the next year when we were like, okay, we're going to go somewhere to write the record, um, we were like, we have to go back to Berlin. It was amazing. Now, was the music, in, you know, because the, there's a scene in Berlin, there's a sort of a really heavy dance scene there, right? Almost like a dark industrial goth scene there. Was that sort of inspiring for you guys to be there? Is that why you chose Berlin? I mean, we were there in the summer. And, okay, so and it was, it was, be- it was beautiful. Cool. Like, uh, it's surprising how warm it is uh, over there. And the music, it, yeah, it does paint that sort of picture. Yeah. A lot of our favorite acts were from there. Cool. Like uh, Book of Shade and um, David August was living there as well. Where are the Apex Twins from? Are they British? He, sure. He's from the UK, yeah. Okay. Mm, I yeah. think Germany, but obviously not. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it was, it's always been an exciting place for us to visit and going there, uh, knowing the nightlife as well that you could, it, it doesn't really close at any time. In Sydney, things are closing at like 1 a.m. Yeah. I think it's the same in LA and Definitely. Uh, probably a lot, of, a lot of the world. I think here they close uh, at 10 p.m. Yeah. Okay. Very, I like really Sydney now too. People go to bed by 7. So. <laughs> yeah. So um, the... Yeah, it's just a different nightlife and culture over there where you can, you know, for us, we, we could be riding through the night and uh, we could reach like a point where we're lacking creativity or we don't have a solution for a song and we're like, hey, do we want to, we just quickly look up who's playing like at any of the at any of the clubs nearby and we would go and just check it out. More for the DJ sets or the sort of live bands? D- DJ playing? sets cool. predominantly. Yeah. But we went and saw some live bands too. Like we saw Subtract play and and we were also su- surprised by going to some clubs where there would just be all this analog gear and they would mm. just be like modular tech yeah. almost like yeah. noise right just yeah. like white noise yeah. i never really understood that but was that <laughs> well no we Someone's were, we were blo- it, guess, yeah right? no we were blown away That's by cool. how yeah. creative it could be yeah yeah definitely um and uh that was like some some of the surprising stuff for definitely. us at the time and inspira- in inspiring stuff when we come back from like that get back at like 4 a.m., 5 a.m., 6 a.m. Yeah. and get straight back into writing after hearing some some of that stuff. So you would actually start writing songs at 5 a.m. after going out and I, that's cool. Yeah, yeah depending that's on awesome. We'd depending be so inspired. Yeah. So yeah. We have to capture. How capture long something. were you guys in Berlin for? A couple months? Yeah. I don't know. Three months? It ended up being like three. Great. Yeah. And so you work on the record there and the writing process, do you guys bring in ideas separately or you do work on songs together in a room? Is it like... There's a drum kit, there's a keyboard, or is it sort of like, hey, I have this riff, and then you guys work on it in the studio together? We usually start a song together and finish it. The whole process of each song is usually together. Um, Because there's like an analog kit, drum-wise, right? But then there's also sort of the percussor of electronic drums too. For the first two records, we didn't really have like the space to have the analog kit set up, but we would record individual parts, like individual hi-hats or whatever. So until we we, uh, wrote Solace, that was when we could have this space to have that. Cool. Um, Even guitar-wise, you'll record like a riff and loop it, right? That's sort of part of the process, how you write songs, right? It's like looping stuff together. It's, it's all kind of a mishmash of this di- different styles, would yeah. you say, right? Yeah, we like that sampling yeah. idea for sure mm-hmm. and trashing things up and making them sound like old school samples is like part of the appeal for us as well. Definitely. Yeah. 
And I think one of the fun things that we found out even at the start of Atlas was that we don't all necessarily work on the same uh, clock. <laughs> and so it's like, you know, two people, uh, we will try to start most songs together, but two people or one person can take that bat- baton on and go right through into like whatever hours they want to and people can dip out whenever they want to. And then we would find this like awesome like uh, work process where someone would wake back up and that person was going back to bed and it just kept rolling like that for days. And, and, and I have to ask you guys, do you like living with each other? Because it's always a funny thing. I mean, yeah. do, are there bad habits? Does one of you guys snore? I don't know. Is there something that like you guys can't stand about each other? <laughs> or you're actually generally like living together because you don't live together all the time. Right? All, it's only when you do pretty, these records. We're all pretty like respectful of each other's space. And cool. I don't know, we figured out because we've been living together essentially for 10 years. You know, even but it was never it was never really difficult. Like we're all pretty chill people. There's like ginger shots before you go on. It's all pretty yeah, healthy. Yeah. Right? Uh, right. You've done yeah. research. Yeah, yeah. So it's a very healthy lifestyle. So, all right. So when did because you you, ca- you casually mentioned like Reading and Leeds, and I and I sort of yeah. want to talk about the fact that if for those of again for those of you who guys you you don't know those are not small venues. Those are some of the biggest venues in the world, the biggest festivals. So how did it come about? Because I still want to talk about the journey of the second record. So you started playing bigger venues. And, and when you really started to know that it was clicking, uh, you're on your American record deal. Things are happening. You're on you're probably, what, 10, 20 million streams. You're like, something's definitely happening. Because there's a point in time when you go from playing for 500 people to 2,000. When you, there's just this organic growth when you know things are clicking with audiences. When did that sort of realization come to you guys? It's been different in uh, every territory, weirdly. So like in Australia, it felt like Atlas was the big turning point and that, that gave us some money to come over here to North America and the UK and Europe. And we spent like a lot of all of that money uh, just coming and starting shows and starting a touring business over here. And um, yeah, and then we put out our second record and... I think it felt most exciting in North America, really. Like things started feeling like they were picking up here. We got the opportunity to play at Coachella and that was... Amazing. That was probably the biggest turning point for North America for us. Yeah. Now, which like tent was that? The first... Was that Sahara? The, the first Gobi. Time? The Gobi? Gobi, okay. 2016, yeah. Okay. yeah. And it was at like 9.30. It was a perfect slot for us and we didn't really know what to expect with it. We'd been touring over here for like the last three years prior to that. And our touring business had slowly, like it had been growing, it had been doubling each time, each time we came over. But I mean, the first time we played in LA, I think we played to five, 600 people, which was, you know, it's great. Like the Roxy but or something? Was that the Echoplex? Uh, Echoplex. 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 Yeah. Cool. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, in the smaller places, it might be 50 people or 100 right. people right. in the smaller cities. And, but it was, it would double consistently every time, which was really positive. But that show in particular, we played and, it was just from front to back, it was packed and everyone was smiling. And I honestly don't believe that most of those people in that tent knew who we were. Amazing. Like there was a... And everyone's on Molly. We should talk <laughs> <about that. laughs> they're, they're also smiling because they're on Molly, but they love the music. Let's too. clarify. <laughs> um, I don't know. I didn't say that. But, <laughs> but, um, but had you been to Coachella as a fan before? I had, no. I, I had, yeah, yeah cool. a few years before. And uh, that was always like, you know, what one of the unique or fun things that we like to do is to write down goals every year. And um, for the first four years, you know, the band's like um, start, we'd always written like we want to be playing Coachella. And we finally got that opportunity at that point. Must also point out another good thing that really helped us get to that point was um, we started supporting and, well, 
we let a band, uh, electronic duo called Odessa, sure. um, come and support us in Australia, and they vo- did the same vice versa for us in America, and it turned out a lot more fruitful for us, um, <laughs> where we were exposed to so many more um, fans, and that really started growing up the popularity throughout America, and uh, so that's yeah. a that's a huge thing for artists to be able to utilize. To be supportive, yeah, is yeah. to take that support. And uh, it's, it's you know, it costs money. Like you're only getting, you know, a few hundred dollars per gig. Exactly. But for your return, you get so much more out of it. Mm. So that's a huge thing for people to be able to grow themselves as artists. Yeah. yeah, when you get the call to do Reading or Leeds, and again, these are huge festivals. Like how does it feel? It must feel incredible. Were those sort of like, those are the biggest places you guys have played at that point, obviously, right? Yeah, I remember yeah. like any of those moments when you would get a call like, oh, so we got an offer to do this. It would be like a little... Like, oh, that's that's so sick! But I, I remember that even from the start, where we get an offer to support a band that, down in Melbourne, and we'll be like, at that point in time, that's like, you know, such an amazing thing. It's like consistently like the next thing that, you know, the next like slightly bigger offer. It's, you're constantly pinching yourself. Like, Definitely, you know. it's still happening. It's still, yeah, happening. still happening. It's always right. happening. Yeah. So, and now actually it was your third time at Coachella, right? And we should talk about the fact that you guys have a new record that you've been touring on for a while. So, your third record, Solace, and let's talk about how that came about. Um, I do want to talk about your third time to Coachella, your visuals, because your brother does a lot of the visuals too, and I want to talk about all that stuff. So, you know, you finally get to, you do Reading, Leeds, things are really, you know, sort of plateauing at that point for you. And, and um, at that point, you're like, it can't get any bigger because those are those are audiences of what, 50,000 for you? I mean, we we went on a I'll, we went on like a big stage. Right, we had well, still, out yeah. of the two, like one of them was huge. We how many people were there at that point? Was it? Uh, that was just what five to ten. Well, it's still far 10. cry it's from still, 500, yeah, right? Big. So it's pretty crazy. The other one. But yeah. five, five to 10 people. Uh, <laughs> just the, your friends and family. Yeah. yeah. The, the, the momentum was just mainly um, mind blowing in America and in um, Australia. And yeah. Europe, like, has just always been just a steady climb. It's still getting there, actually. Yeah. Um, but America and Australia was like just really ascending really fast towards the end of bloom. Uh, and that's also when we signed the deal um, and uh, changed over to Warner Brothers. And that's where everything started to get super exciting for us. And um, out to Warner Brothers. Yeah. We like Warner Brothers. Yeah. <laughs> um, so why did you get off Columbia? Why did you get on Warner Brothers? Would you, did you feel like there was a lot more support at that point from you know the people at Warner Brothers, you guys? Yeah, I think the people uh, can sort of... Um, would you, you can, like I was saying before, when you're writing goals, and if they're writing their goals and they're not aligning, it becomes quite obvious. Sure. And mm-hmm. our goals weren't aligning as much with um, those with those labels anymore. Was it easy for you to get off the one deal and into another? Yeah. Fairly easy. Okay. Yeah, very okay. easy. We, we, yeah. we, we didn't sign ourselves into huge, like, long contracts. We yeah. were very aware of that. We knew that we were a very new band and that we didn't want to sign our life away. And, and why do you think your music connects with people? I actually was talking to a friend of mine and they sort of described your music as dance music that's perfect for any party. Mm-hmm. So, um, which I think is actually a really great sort of description. But if you had to sort of describe your music, because I look at it again as sort of like a little bit of alt rock mixed with dance music and it has that beachy sort of lush, lushness to it. Um, what do, how would you guys describe your music to people that don't know? I guess the fact that we listened to and grew up on, you know, listening to bands and songs that were people who made songs as opposed to just tracks and that, that side of music as well as listening to our, like our favorite electronic music, um, I think, and also the fact that we, you know, pour our hearts out into the music that we make, you know, it does seem to some degree that people uh, on the receiving end can relate to some of the things that we describe or there's a human element or an emotionality or a warmth as well as, you know, nods to our best, you know, our favorite electronic music. Awesome. One of my favorite yeah. songs you guys have is uh, Treat You Better. 
almost uh, 30 million streams at this point. Talk about how you wrote that song because I want to play it in a minute. I was just going to add in there, I think there were a, th a three-piece live act doing electronic music live. Yeah. True, that's true. That's, that's what true. I feel yeah. like is a good yeah. Definitely. Because <laughs> if you go see these guys live, they're all playing instruments. So it's something you guys should know. And it's yep. great. And there's drums and you know keyboards. Well and it's great. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. I forgot that. Yeah, no, you're right. So treat you better. <laughs> treat you better. Let's talk about how that song came about. Uh, one of my favorite songs and definitely uh, one of your newer songs that's doing really well at the moment. Yeah, I mean, so the process of writing uh, the third record was really great. I mean, we were living together. It was the most time we'd spent writing uh, material for any record. We had basically a year full time with a studio that was separate to this house that we were living in, separated by a pool and... So, so we would spend like days and days and days in that studio. Um, you guys got an Airbnb in Venice, right? How yeah. was it to live in Venice for you guys, California? It's great. Yeah. It's great. We all had bikes. We'd just ride down. We had our local fruit guy. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, was, it was good. It was keto really friendly good. and all that kind <laughs> yeah, of LA yeah. stuff that you do, right? Keto, yeah, yeah. Right. Absolutely. We, <laughs> so uh, you're living, there's like eight or 10 of you guys living together in the house, yes. right? It's the girlfriends, it's the managers, the agents. Yeah. And how's that experience like? Because obviously that's going to add to sort of the whole color of writing an album, right? I mean, it's quite celebratory and fun, really. Like we all, uh, I think it's probably the best fun that we've had writing a record. Cool. Um, as tough as some of those times were, like it was the most fun. Like we were connecting. Yeah. We had a, a whole group of friends that would come over regularly. Um, and it was kind of like a party house without, well, like still with the focus of writing music. And ginger it's, shots. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, and a few other shows. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, you guys are Australian, so you, you have yeah. to like to drink a little bit, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, all right. So you're writing the record. And I'll just, I actually yeah. highlight the, the ginger shot thing. <laughs> we, so we used to do shots of whiskey before we went out on stage. <laughs> oh, okay. There was like a myth that uh, if I was singing and like I, I'd have a sore voice or something that it would help soothe the voice. Um, anyway, during this writing process, this, this for Solace, this last record, um, we did a bit of a tester, so we tested to see how weed worked on my voice, how uh, whiskey <laughs> how, how worked on work? my voice. How was weed on your voice? It got rid of all of the top end, all okay. the brightness of my voice. Okay. Uh, didn't really help it out at all. Okay. Um, <laughs> whiskey, it like made it smooth, but it did, it got rid of the top end as well. Okay. So basically, the only thing that was good for my voice was water. Right. Um, <laughs> So we ruled that out. That we changed. We're like, all right, we, we developed this ritual of having shots before we walked out on stage. So we're like, what can we? You know, it was a nice moment of connection and going like, yeah, let's let's do this right. um, this ritual. show. And so yeah, the ritual of that turned into ginger shots. Which to clarify, you guys healthier. do drink. You do have beer, right? So, um, so cool. So I want to talk sort of track by track, this new record, right? Um, treat you better. We were just talking about how that song came about. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm just breaking down this the the process. House. Yeah. And yeah. The house was, uh, very conducive to spending a lot of time in there and we, we, uh, I guess neglected our personal lives and our health, um, our loved ones. We didn't really have a balance in our life at all. Like all of our energy was going into making this, this album, these songs and uh, yeah, that, that song felt like a big tribute to ourselves and our partners. It's it, just it was a, a feel good song. It's such a feel good song. You put it on and you just want to, I don't want to, I don't even really dance, but you almost want to dance. <laughs> um, it's a great, great track. So you just, it was sort of a, an homage to your partners, you were saying. Mm. 
Yeah, and ourselves. And I think it's a nice like memoir of uh, how we met our partners as well. Um, there's like when we're writing our lyrics, there's like different moments of truths that we can each connect with d- depending on the song. And there's a few lines in that song that uh, they paint a specific picture of me meeting my fiance. And nice. Yeah, I think it's so beautiful when we get to put those true lyrics into a song and we connect with it so much because uh, I don't know, I, I feel like the audience that listens to that must feel that authenticity. I feel like, more romanticism in your lyrics versus like the corn influences from back in the day. <laughs> yeah. So there's definitely a, a romantic cool. vibe. Rufus, the song will be back in just a moment with these guys. You're listening to Lips LA with Scott Lips. Rufus the Soul, you're listening to Lip Service. So let's kind of talk track by track of the new album. Uh, if there's any songs that we should, uh, I'd love to hear stories. So stories that inspire. Uh, we have one? Eyes, New Sky, Lost My Mind, No Place. I'd love yeah. to hear stories behind some of the songs. I think, I think one of the stories that we, we like to, you know, revisit is um, when the, f- the fourth track, Lost to My Mind. Um, so we'd been discussing in the same way that when we went to Berlin, we you know, decided we have to go back to this place. It's beautiful. But also there are these bucket list kind of goals in terms of creativity and writing. We'd always discuss going to Joshua Tree and doing that, the, the, oh, right. the, the generic band thing, you know, going right. out, out there and losing yourselves and then finding yourself. But um, we, <laughs> we, uh, we uh, yeah, so we set aside some time, um, you know, like I think it was April last year or something, um, set aside a couple of days to go out there, mainly in, in terms of like finding lyrics for some of the tracks. So like I think Eyes, we found a lot of the lyrics out there. But, now, how um, does that happen? I mean, let's just talk about that for a moment. Are you running around Joshua Tree, like having a few shots yeah. and just yeah. getting inspired? or at, at, Because it is a pretty spiritual place. Uh, truth be told, I've been there once or twice, and it's pretty powerful being out there. I mean, people, that people haven't been there. It's just you can't even believe the landscape, right? It's like the Grand Canyon meets the desert meets something yeah. else. Yeah, that's right. Just to, for that specific part of your question, that's what exactly what we were doing. We were walking out amongst the boulders and um, per- perching ourselves up onto the most beautiful point that we could and sitting there and taking it in and taking in some of that spiritual nature of the of the landscape and we like to, um, like you, we were talking about earlier, take inspiration from landscapes and different. Um, uh, yeah, I guess that in particular looks like you're on the moon. So yeah. uh, we like that idea of like uh, being in another planet. Definitely. And so we, we used a lot of that time to just reflect and reflect on the last year and um, be in, so- in solitude and think about it. So that's how that little lyrical part goes. And it's yeah. nice to see the real camaraderie between you guys. You can tell there's a real friendship there. Sometimes bands come in and you know they hate each other. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, in your case, you know, there's a real camaraderie there. So yeah. you're writing this record and then eventually you get a call to do Coachella again. And this is your the, the biggest time, obviously, the biggest tent, the biggest audience. So let's talk about that because you also premiered like a 360 degree experience there that your brother did. Right. And uh, let's talk about how that all worked out. So with the 360 degree experience, that was a, a really cool thing. So yeah, obviously we were very excited about doing the show at Coachella, but then we have this other opportunity that arises to um, yeah do the, the, the 360 degree dome um, to one of our tracks underwater. And so they pitched a few different directors um, and we, we, got, we got shown the pitches and one of them was clearly the winner. And it was, uh, it was a director called James Frost, sure. who's actually worked with um, Radiohead on their House of Cards film clip, and he did Coldplay Yellow and like an OK, okay Go clip. His resume is crazy. And um, so we were like, and his vision for the track through the pitch was, it looked so on point and very like in line with how we, I don't know, our aesthetic or our visual imagery that we like. 
And so um, from there, he we started. Uh, John's little brother Alex started working with him. You know, and um, yeah. yeah. And, and talk it, about that because your brother is that definitely creating some of those sort of visual aspects of the band too, right? Yeah, yeah. So we brought over Alex uh, during the writing of um, Solace, uh, and he came to live with us as well. Just added another one to mm. the Brady bunch. <laughs> um, and he actually just got married as well, and he left his, he left his wife to come over and work with us. Amazing. Um, uh, she's eventually ended up moving over here with us too. But yeah, he um, his main role was to try and um, pick our brains to what we sort of like um, uh, being inspired by. What like we're talking about those landscapes and what type of escape escapism we're thinking of, and and trying to really paint a picture of uh, what those songs are meaning to us. And also trying to add some extra elements of like, uh, have you thought about this or the way that this could feel like trying to join two, two, two pieces together. And this is another, this was a really good example of being able to work as the conduit between uh, the band and uh, as James Frost and being able to um, like be the middleman and, and, and help that come together. And it worked out so perfectly. It's like what the biggest dome in in the world, and, amazing. Yeah. And, and then you sit there, or you lie down, I guess, in in the Coachella experience, and you watch these three D visuals just um, bounce down on you, and it was the perfect um, complement to underwater itself. And talk about this Coachella for you guys, right? Because I feel like there's a heavy shift towards EDM and and sort of it's getting away from rock. And it's been a couple of years since I feel like there was very little rock at Coachella. But this year, there's very little rock. I think that there was a, a, a real prevalence of uh, electronic dance music and, mm. and some hip hop still, for sure. But um, so I, I want to feel that people's taste, even though I love rock, obviously, that's sort of the world I come from. Um, I feel like there's a, definitely a, a permanent shift in people's sort of taste where, like, if you look at the lineup of Coachella and it's predominantly sort of, you know, dance music and electronic music and DJs, it, it says something about where we're going in culture, right? So yeah, it has to feel good that you guys have something to do with that shift because this was your biggest show how did it feel how did it feel amazing that first weekend uh we all unanimously picked that as our favorite show of our career definitely it was just one of those things like we'd been touring for the last six seven maybe it's eight months on this new record um and refining the live show learning what works what doesn't and making unique uh moments that aren't on the record like little vacations basically uh, musically um and I guess that's a gift of getting such a big stage, uh, getting the times, the slot that we got. Um, we played on the outdoor stage. We had one hour and five minutes. Amazing. So you get to curate exactly the emotional ride that you want. It wasn't like we had to do a 40 minute set. We had enough time to give the ride, like in the journey musically that we could. But um, all of that time that we'd spent uh, in the production, like the rehearsals for it with all of the new um bells and whistles basically to make this show as special as it could be for us you know often those things don't all come together at once there's things that need to be refined and tightened up but we were so lucky we had two three days rehearsal um and we went into that show so excited and everyone just nailed it amazing it was just ridiculous so would you say that's the highlight of your career at this point yeah yeah amazing Yeah. And I'm sure you'll be invited back four and five and ten times. So that's awesome. Would you say there's almost like a, a would you guys consider yourselves doing like concept albums in a sense? Because I feel like there is a a theme and even with the visuals, right? Because, again, I keep going back to that like lushness. But I feel like there is a theme to some of your albums. Would you say there's a there's a concept albums in a sense? 
there's a concept to begin with, uh, like visually, usually. And um, what, like, what is interesting, like even with this last record, we wrote we wrote so much more material. And the reason that we sequenced it and and chose the songs that we did and finalized those songs is because of the continuity and yeah, I guess a concept of some sort. And it's like more of a feeling always for us. Yeah, it's a feeling uh, that we were able to drive through that record and it ebbs and flows in the right way, particularly for us. So we don't usually talk about a concept or um, a concept doesn't doesn't necessarily feel like the right word in the way that most people like talk about concept albums. But we definitely feel there's uh, tracks that couldn't have gone on there because it wouldn't have fit that feeling of that record. And your live show, right? Let's talk about that for a moment. So anything uh, that people should expect when they come to see you guys live because you're all playing instruments and you have the visuals, which is great. Yeah. Um, but let's talk about the live show for a minute because you were definitely inspired by artists like the Chemical Brothers who did really big live shows in, in electronic music, right? Yeah. 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 Like I think one thing that we really love about when we go to see, um, you know, especially electronic artists or any artist. Um, like Foles as well. When you, yeah. Um, when you see, yeah, Foles, we love them. Um, when you see an artist um, play with the medium and playing with structure and like when you're constantly surprised, um, so you go to a show and you expect the song to do the usual breakdown and then suddenly it goes to this thing. And um, in that same way, we really love to play with the structure of things and going on surprising tangents. And the fact that there are three musicians on stage um, from night to night, the parts might be shifted slightly if you're feeling a certain way or, you know, allowing the allowing the space to respond, in, you know, creatively and musically. So it's not just this exact same thing from night to night to night. And it keeps us on our toes a bit, you know. And whose idea, by the way, was the shaman when you guys started recording this last record? <laughs> uh, no how did that come about? No one's idea. <laughs> it's his idea. It looks it like his very idea. LA, right? He, he manifested said, it. Did he just walk up to the door and knock them like, hey, you guys home? I, I want to bless the record or something? Uh, yeah, I guess so. No, not really. I mean, he's a friend of he's a, a friend. He's yeah. a friend okay. of our agents, actually, oh, okay. that, that introduced us. He's a really lovely guy. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he's just a character. He's just an extreme yeah. character. He's this tall guy. Everyone um, in LA has a shaman, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> no one in LA doesn't have a shaman. And I bet they're all self-proclaimed too. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, he's just a really creative, fun guy. And he just came in with this vision, like in... and. I had a notepad and a pen. It was it was at the end of a night. We'd seen a live show, so everyone was a bit wasted, I guess. Right, right. And he's like got the notepad and pen and taking like we didn't really know what he was doing. He's like, oh, yeah, so the doors on the north, yeah, mm, not quite. All right. And then came to us with the idea of, you know, okay, this side's going to be water. This side's going to be green. It's going to be, you know, represents this. This side's the air. And then there was like an alligator skin with a heart like ripping through it, which was above the drum kit that was all red. And it's like, this is James for sure. This is the, this is where the drums come from. And like it, it made the the whole energy in the in the studio so much more fun and playful it felt That's like cool. you were walking into a kid's kind of uh, cubby house like. except he was serious he well, was very serious yeah <laughs> he put a lot of heart into it for like eight weeks yeah it was a long time we used it seriously like it was yeah. it was a good escape for us whenever we would wake up in the morning it was like a fun adult playground for us to go into and That's then awesome. you'd, you'd, you'd get lost definitely and a couple last things I want to ask you guys about you recently not too long ago sold out a show at the O2 in London so that's a pretty big accomplishment for a group, right? Let's talk about that because between that and Coachella, I would imagine those are definitely two career highlights for you guys. Yeah, I guess, uh, yeah, anytime we've sold out a show, um, it usually it's been the biggest show thus far in that city. So like in a lot of ways, the last year we've had a lot of those kind of wins. Um, 
you know, they, and there's some of them are really memorable. We play like playing the three shrines here was really amazing. Uh, the UK show Coachella, it's just constantly like these pinch yourself moments. So you got another bunch of dates coming up this year, correct? So yeah, so I think uh, a good a good segue would be the LA Historic Park, State yeah. Historic Park that we're going to play. I think that was a huge pinch ourselves moment that uh, eighteen thousand tickets sold out, amazing, like pretty amazing. much on presale, uh, which mm. is like you know a couple of days. Yeah. Uh, so that how was it to play there? I'm actually playing there in like a month. So. We're, we're, we haven't played it yet. It's oh, coming oh, it's coming up. Okay, yeah. cool. In October. Yeah, yeah, I'm playing there June eighth. So I'm oh, pretty excited about it. So. Okay, cool. Um, but that's awesome. Yeah, I think it holds like twenty thousand people. I believe Interpol played there not long ago. Oh, mm. cool. So um, it's it's like it's actually overlooking all of like Echo Park and Dodger Stadium. So it's supposed to be an incredible, amazing uh, place. So I feel like you guys are really paving the way for a new sound. Uh, congratulations and all your success check out the tour date so there's a bunch of dates coming up we got LA Historic Park what else do you guys got coming two, up two Red Rocks yeah. two Red Rocks amazing uh, playing the Greek Theater in Berkeley like yeah. some, some of these beautiful amphitheaters all small places the Greek Theater yeah, yeah, Red yeah. Rocks <laughs> LA Historic yeah. Park <laughs> and what, what's your, what are you guys the most excited about coming up this next year I think, I think the, the LA shows. shows. LA the shows, cool. shows, yeah. Cool, I mean, cool, we're cool. going to do a bit more riding, which is going to be really fun. And I think yeah. Tyron has a very personal uh, uh, excitement and journey coming up for himself too. Yeah, I'm going to be a dad in uh, like two and a half weeks. Oh, amazing. Congrats. That's I incredible. Mean, yeah, depending on when he wants to be here. But <laughs> right, it's amazing, <laughs> yeah. amazing, amazing. That'll be exciting. That's really great. Well, congrats on all your success. The baby coming up. Thanks. Is it a boy or girl? Can we? The boy. It's His a boy. Awesome. Ziggy. Awesome. Will there be a song named after Ziggy on the new record? Maybe. Uh, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Not named after him, but okay. maybe, maybe influenced maybe. by him for sure. Influenced by Ziggy Stardust? Any any sort of uh, correlation there? No, not yeah. actually. Okay. Ziggy Marley? It's a nice touch. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Ziggy Marley. Exactly. Have you guys <laughs> written anything for the next record in case fans want to know? Well, there are a lot of offcuts from the last record um, that, you know, there's because it was the most prolific writing process that we could revisit, but that we haven't written anything specifically new yet but cool. we're, we're about to we have some time off well we're all going to be at la historic park check out the new album so much to listen to and, and definitely check out all the dates on tour thanks guys it was a pleasure thank you so much hopefully you. Uh, you guys like milo yeah, and uh you. and check out uh, the band rufus the soul on tour thanks guys thanks. Thank, thank you, thank you so much this is lips la hey dennis quaid here and i want to tell you about the orange street Now, I have recently started a podcast network called Audio Up, and much as I prepare for movie roles, I've been researching the podcast landscape and listening to hundreds of podcasts. One in particular stopped me in my tracks. The Orange Tree. It's a true crime podcast series told with such authenticity and care by Haley Butler and Tinu Thomas, two journalists who were University of Texas students when they started reporting on the story. It's about the 2005 murder of a young woman named Jennifer Cave near the University of Texas at Austin campus. What struck me most was the thorough examination of the case and the exclusive access granted to these two young reporters. What makes this true crime story so unique is their perspective. They're two young women who are the same age as Jennifer Cave and at very similar points in their lives. The Orange Tree is engaging, it's thoughtful, and really, really powerful. Take a listen to The Orange Tree on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts today. Well, hey there. Hey, Dennis Quaid is here. That's right. And guess what? I have a podcast. It's called The Denissance, and I think you should listen. 
I'm having some really cool conversations with some really interesting people like music legend Billy Ray Cyrus, housewife of Beverly Hills, Garcelle Bouvet, and many, many more. Listen to The Denissance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Howdy do, y'all. I'm Uncle Drank, star of the ballad of Uncle Drank. It is a scripted musical podcast about the life and times of me, fictional golf and western country music pioneer, Uncle Drank. The series also stars Luke Wilson, Brian Kelly, Chelsea Lynn, Kinky Friedman, and Billy Zane as a talking blender named Blendy. You can find the ballad of Uncle Drank on Sirius XM, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. 